right, guys, welcome to this episode of the Thirst is Real podcast. This is an episode that we've been wanting to do probably since we started the podcast. Uh, we're here today at uh, 4S Advanced Wildlife Solutions here in uh, Reynolds, Georgia. Guys, I'm telling you, I've been wanting to talk to Bruce myself, but I know this was a big deal to Kelby. Uh, Kelby actually used to work for Bruce, uh, probably what, maybe it was about two years ago, a year and a half ago. Probably uh, so. Yeah. Probably so, but uh, right before he went back to OB. But man, guys, uh, Bruce is just, he knows food plots, supplemental feed, attractants. This is, I mean, this is what he does. And I mean, I've been a customer of his for about two and a half years, and I'm, just here to tell you, it's the truth. It really does work, and uh, we're going to talk all about that. But Bruce himself is an actual bona fide assassin himself. <laughs> He's killed some <laughs> big deer, um, so uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit about what his methods are for that, and uh, and then we're going to dive in a little bit to his pro- uh, products. So Bruce, man, thank you so much for being here yeah, and uh, being on our show. Yeah, glad y'all came, man. Good yeah. to meet y'all. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So Bruce, I mean, like I said before, you know. I've heard you uh, you talk to a lot of people about your um, you know your product and everything, but a lot of people they really haven't asked you a whole lot about your hunting tactics and things that you do. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, and I I creeped your Instagram, I checked it out. It's it's got a couple several giants. I mean, it's been yeah. for, I think the last two years you've killed. Just, I mean, those deer were probably what they were easily ever one close to one fifty or very that, close. There's been some good ones, man. I don't. Everything just kind of gets to be a blur for us during deer season. You yeah, know, I don't get to go like I would want to. Everybody right. wants to get in the hunting industry because they love hunting, and you think you're gonna get to hunt a lot more. And no. normally the reality is it's just the opposite. So now I've got invites to some of the coolest places in the country and some you know outside of the country, and just don't get to go like I want to. So when I when I get a good one, it's a big deal for me because I have to work hard. <laughs> I was the buyer for a bow company, and I and it, it got cut into my deer season quite significantly. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it, it can definitely. It's not what it's cracked up, people. Yeah, <laughs> so, I guess mechanic always drives a piece of junk, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly, hundred yeah, percent, absolutely. Well, uh, Bruce, I mean, what would you say? Like, you know, when you, when you're, I mean, you, you've hunted your whole life, you know, mm-hmm. and I think you know anybody that knows anything. If y'all want to know about Bruce, I mean, you can check out for us advancedwildlifesolutions.com, but you can also check Bruce out on Instagram. Uh, you know, learn more about him. But you know, Bruce, you you hunted your entire life. I mean, mm-hmm. w- when you when you get a you lock onto okay, I've got a you've got a target buck that you're looking for that you're like, all right, this is the one I want to kind of key in on. Um, what are some of your scouting tactics? I mean, anything from trail cameras to, uh, you know, I mean, do you, I mean, for for most people, a lot of it starts, you know, now. I mean, in the postseason, we're in the postseason right now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how do you? What what are your tactics for it? So we're normally. Or normally the slowest part of our year is right at the end of deer season mm-hmm. or toward the end. You know, we've we've shipped all our dealers and we're done with that part of the season and pellet season for the twenty percent side of things. You know, spring summer pellets is just now fixing to pick back up mm-hmm. and we're out of food plot season, so we get a chance to to do some really good scouting late season. You know, where we can still see all the signs from the season that just went out and um we can get into some of those spots that we normally stay away from during the season but then this time of year we can still see their patterns you know all those spots that you really want to go into while you're hunting that you're scared to you know for boogering Mm -hmm. something so um i do that and try to learn um about some of our places in that and then of course being in the deer nutrition business we have our, our feeders running with our pellets that we start um 
in late December, early January. So we're able to track cameras and, and track those feeders and, and get a feel for what's going on. So most of the time when we get close to, to hardhorn or, or getting close to deer season coming in, I kind of know a pretty good inventory on what I'd like to, to go after based on what I'm seeing visiting a feeder all the time. And we don't, and I don't hunt over feeders. Um, not that I'm a, against it or anything. Yeah. It's just I try to keep that to be a, a sacred, safe place for for my deer to eat. So, right. If I've got a good one coming to a to a feeder there that we're feeding pellets in, you know, I start trying to scout around the area and and find a way to to, to nab an early season buck. Um, early season's a big big key for a lot of the success I've had with getting with getting good deer. Um, do you kind of back out with a camera? Usually, you know, okay, I see you, you've got them coming in predominantly from the south uh, of the feeder or the food plot where you've got them coming. So do you kind of do you kind of just kind of, I don't know, can, I don't want to say canvas, but, you, I mean, how do you set your cameras into basically backing out and catching this deer and figuring a pattern them in when you come? Believe it or not, I don't I don't have to put a lot of time into into that exact side of it as much as figuring out where he's living so our – the way our farm is set up, we've got a fairly sizable piece of land, but it's all fields. Oh, yeah. So it's proud to have it, but it kind of sucks. It's really yeah. hard to hunt because you've got all these booger spots that you just can't get into. So, right, right. But that does make it easy to know where a potential big buck's living. So, you know, with all the attractants we do um, and, and blocks and things like that, it, it gets pretty easy for me to put him where I want him. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't necessarily go out and, and bait a spot just in hopes – some random deer right. show up. I mean, I do that some, but more often than not, if I've got one, um, you know, 400 yards away and I can't figure out how to hunt him there, I can put him where I want him by using like the 4S draw or the Pro 20 blocks or, or whatever. So okay. I, I really, I mean, I'm, I know it sounds a lot like a sales pitch since that's what we do for a living, but the reason we do it for a living is because it actually provides a very helpful service to to a hunter, you know, and I I use that. I mean, that's that's I mean, my tool. Yes, you know? yes, you can. And <laughs> trust me, I've got I've got about two hours of questions about <laughs> just, yeah. just based on my own experience. But, uh, but you know, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think a lot of guys, I mean, especially, I mean, the, the your average white-tailed deer hunter, I mean, and I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't want to, I know that this is, they experience this in the north, in the Midwest and, I mean, all over, but uh, I know, especially in the South, we, the hardest thing I think some of us have is when we have a buck that's nocturnal. Mm-hmm. He's, he's just going to show up. He's only going to show up during the nighttime you might you're gonna have no basically November to catch him mm-hmm. pretty much if you're lucky you know um, or, or another or another random buck that's just popping out of nowhere but uh, I mean what would you say to a guy that's like all right man I've got a I've got a deer he might he's daylighting some but he's not doing he's not he's predominantly nocturnal um, I mean I've heard you know several people tell me like hey if you got that deer on camera and he's nocturnal. If you're not moving your camera a couple hundred yards back and trying to see if you can catch him when he does hit the daylight, mm-hmm. that's the best way to do that. But um, I mean, based on you know what you guys have, what y'all offer, I mean, your products. I mean, I know it's, you can't really say like this attractant or this feed is going to turn that buck into a daylight buck. I right. mean, I just don't think. I mean, obviously, you would probably want to question the people that would say that, but. Right. Um, but I mean, are there tactics you can use with, with attracting some feeds and uh, plots and setups where you can actually work these deer into your day into your daylight hours? Absolutely. Um, gotcha. Okay. This is something that I've been learning about 
for a few years. So one of the luxuries we have of what we do is we get to learn what you know what Tom's doing that works or, or doesn't work. Yeah. And we get to learn it ourselves and we also get to teach it to Paul, you know. So gotcha. that's been a big deal and in, in our knowledge of of, of hunting products and, and things to use, you know, we know a lot, but a lot of it's what we learn from guys that might know something we don't that we get to learn and teach somebody. So that's how Cork Spike came about, right? And uh, is that correct? Kinda. I mean it is something that uh has just been a huge, huge help. And now, you know, that product in particular, I know I'm getting off subject a little bit, but when we're testing a product, we go as far as we can with the testing, but and, and we never put anything out that we don't think is great. But a lot of times, you don't really know how great something is until you get it out to the masses. Yeah, and that product just blew us away with all the incredible testimony coming in on that. I mean, even like today, I had a guy call from Florida that's just putting corn spike on the ground by itself, and it's an additive. I did. And, I did that. And they're <laughs> it, work, did they, it works. <laughs> yeah, and they're smashing it, and we got guys that are using it for cover scent now. But um, but anyway. What I was what I was going to say is um, one thing I learned that's been very successful for me is is controlling more daylight movement by creating competition with your bait piles. Oh, okay, I see. And as much as it sucks to have hogs, they're a great tool because the deer will also compete with those hogs to get to that bait really? pile before it's gone. And that sounds a little goofy and maybe a little far-fetched but it absolutely works so hey, we're, we're all about controversy here that's great yeah, i love man. i love that no yeah, i mean, I mean it's, it's great it, <laughs> it, and guys might not have time or or live where they hunt to where they can put out feed like that but um it, it really works well to put out small amounts uh every day or every other day and and, and let it get eaten up even if it's by the hogs um i've got a buddy of mine that that I hunt with Eric Campbell and he's uh he swamp hunts um is the name of his business he does a lot of pay hunts hog hunts deer hunts and things and um that's something he's been doing for years and I've I learned some things from him about putting those small bait piles out like that and he's been extremely successful with it with um, um so it doesn't even have to be a large bait mm-hmm. pile is it I mean you say it's like more like the diversity of it or uh well, I mean, it's it's just creating that competition to where they wonder if it's going to be there when they get there. You know, if they know that, man, all these other deer are going to be there and they're, yeah. they're going to get it eaten first or the hogs are going to come in and eat it. So it it really will get them out in the daylight. Of course, you got the questionnaire that everybody has. Okay, so you're going into your feed or your uh, your hunting location every day or yeah. every two days. Is Are you spooking those deer out of there by being there all the time or are they getting used to your odor by being there all the time? And I think they get used to you. I, yeah, I really I do. do. I mean, I, I really think they get used to your odor um, so much so that um, we did some experimenting this year with hunting terrible winds. Yeah. Um, now, granted, we we really wanted to hunt that stand and didn't have another stand that we wanted to go to at that time. I was with my, with my daughter some in different times like that, but it absolutely worked for us not getting busted. Now, we, we had corn spike. I keep my clothes in a box with corn spike. Um, but we just didn't get busted, and I think it was a mix of the spike and the and the deer knowing our odor yeah. and it not freaking them out because we're in there all the time. I'm gonna have to try that. Oh, dude, let me tell <laughs> you. You know, I, I, I'm trying to stay. I'm try, We are going to talk about draw because I, I I can't. 
can't help it. I'm that's I'm a, a super fan, but man, that's a you good know, tool. But, but I can't. But uh, before we get to that, I want to let, let's talk a little bit about protein. We're in the postseason. I mean, you know, January uh, typically. I mean, for us in Georgia, I mean that that is our postseason. That's when we start putting pellet. Uh, go ahead and get the pellet back out. Mm-hmm. Um, I started using pellet. I guess this is probably about five years ago or four years ago. And I started with, I've used, I'll go ahead and tell you, I use four of your competitors' products, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I used, four, I mean, again, I again, we're, we're talking for, guys, look, I'm telling you, if you've not tried Forest stuff, you need to. Um, uh, I did not, uh, I had such an issue with a trough feeder, just mildew. I mean, it, it just, it, I mean, we're in Georgia. I mean, too, I mean, the, the humidity alone mm-hmm. is good. You're going, I mean, and I think, I mean, even, even the, the 4S pellet did eventually around the corners. I mean, it started kind of getting the mildew. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just think that's just a natural, that's just going to happen with pellet. If you're going to put it in a trough, is that, is that, would you say that's correct? Uh, no, not really. I mean, that, that largely comes down to trough design. Like if, if we have a guy saying, I, I that, made it, so you know, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I think that we could come across maybe a little abrasive or rude, but um, if we have a guy that's having a problem with moisture, it's, it's always the trough or a type okay. of feeder. Like I had a guy yesterday that, that called in and he, he kind of said the same thing you did that he's got a gravity feeder and he's switching us. He, he wasn't feeding our feed at the time, but. He was wanting to switch to us because he was having such a problem with moisture, and he was yeah. blaming it on the feed. And of course, I defended whoever he was feeding. I said, "Look, don't yeah, don't knock them. If you got moisture, you know that's going to be your feeder, not not their feed. We'll be glad to sell it to you." Mm-hmm. But, um, but like our wooden troughs that we build, for example, um, I mean, we carry a lot of different types of feeders, but the wood troughs we have an eight foot by eight foot roof. Yeah, they're huge. Yeah, yeah and that's just covering a pan that's only two foot by four foot. Yeah, three hundred pound capacity. So. You still with that, the moisture in the air could create uh, some fines. And if you had a blowing rain, but typically they're going to eat it before it ever has a chance to mildew. This is also true. And, you know, the the, the thing with mine that that what happened with that is, I, and again, I'm not trying, I'm seriously not trying to talk for us up so much to people, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just telling you what I've experienced. Again, your competitor, it was like I, I had to take a chisel to one of them, mm-hmm. you know, the whole pan. I mean, it, and we really didn't have any sideways rain. I mean, some, but not a lot. And uh, another competitive yours, it was real clumpy. Mm-hmm. It was just on the edges on yours, really. That was it. And it really wasn't. And, but again, that goes to the design of the feeder because I, it was designed by myself, <laughs> which is not good. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, I, I could have done better. You know, it was the first, my first go at it. It was a DIY. But, but yeah, I mean, I will say y'all stuff held up a whole lot better than yeah. anybody else's. And my deer seemed to like it a lot more. And that was the other thing, you know, when it comes to protein pellets or attractants, I think, in anything. You know, uh, whitetails to me, as, as long as I've been hunting them, it, it's almost like you can go down the street. I mean, not even point two miles, and it it seems like the deer do react differently yeah. to some certain things, and they don't. I'm sure you with y'all's testing. I'm sure y'all see that all the time. Oh yes, that's why we do such a large range of it. I mean, yeah, you, you do see that. Um, one thing I want to say about pellets, real quick, back on that other subject. Oh, absolutely. We went further, but um, one thing that could have happened there if you did have some that that some other type of pellet besides ours that was showing some moisture. It could have been an older pellet when you got it. Yeah. And they, they weren't eating it as fast. Okay. So it had time to accumulate all that moisture in the air. 
Gotcha. That's very likely. You know, we work ourselves to death, keep feed fresh. Um, well, it, that was another thing I wanted to point out, and too. That could have been what was going on. Now, now I have seen troughs that um, if you did have a bunch of blowing rain and the roof wasn't big enough and you had some edges like you're talking about where something got trapped. and then, It was made for a doghouse. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's not enough coverage yeah. at all. And then if you went through, you know, say four or five uh, – times of filling up the feeder and yeah. you never did clean those corners out yeah i, I could see even ours you know mildew in the end well, or shoot, the de- like the I deer mean, lick it clean I yeah mean, i mean it's yeah, there I mean, is a cleaning type of thing you would want to do i mean we use you know I mean, we no, use no, my, my, my deer cleaned it for me like i did, oh, yeah. I've, yeah. I've never had to clean y'all's out ever <laughs> so yeah. I, I guess i was just trying to backtrack because i was saying that that's about always going to be trough design but you know i didn't really think about the fact that if it was a if it was a some feed that had some age on it that was already not quite as palatable, then that that could have created, like I said, a decrease in consumption, and it was yeah. there longer. Moisture got to it, so that's it. it might not be your trough. It might not be the dog, right? House. I mean, and you know, I mean, you guys being so close to where I live and where I hunt, and you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, my Ace Harbor, I pick you pick my stuff up from you guys. Is I mean, it that the that's one thing I've noticed about y'all stuff, and I and that's pretty much all the way. All your dealers are like that, for them from what I understand. Yeah, you guys are. Kill yourself to make sure each lot you send out is a fresh lot. Is that correct? If anybody knew how hard we work to do that, they would feel sorry for us and try to pay us more for the product <laughs> than we actually get for it. I mean, yeah, we, yeah, you'd be shocked if I told you the the volume that we went through versus what you see, yeah, sitting in the warehouse, and that's because we flip it so fast to yeah. just ensure freshness. I mean, it's a big deal, and and you don't know how long the customer's going to sit on it. So exactly, if exactly. I've got something that's a month old. I'm totally in what I consider compliance of selling fresh feed. Not that we, we don't have feed to get to that old, but if I did, that might be fine. But then a guy rolls in and buys four tons of feed, he yeah. might sit on it for four months. Sit yeah. And then you just added 30 months. more days to it. And that's like I just mm-hmm. was on the phone with a customer when y'all came in that wants uh, – he wanted 20 tons of feed. And, you know, I had to tell him I'm not trying to get in your business, but – <laughs> How long is it going to take you to feed that twenty tons? Because yeah. I don't want you to sit on it for eight months. You know, let's let's get this feed going in two and a half to three months. And I mean, gonna, you leave it in back the gr- off yeah. order a little bit. You, you know? can't leave pellet feed sitting in the garage from cold, and then it goes, to, especially here in Georgia. I mean, good lord! I mean, it, it'll be sixty one day, and then the next thing you know, you go, you, it'll be in the low nineties. I mean, yes. I yeah. mean, I would expect something bad to happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it can. And then you see guys get feed that they put it on a, a dirt floor. You know, shed. It's got moisture oh, on God. the ground. So those bottom why five a, bags. They know, want to know why it's a concrete bag when they pick it up. Yeah, <laughs> they can. They can get bad. So we're. It's kind of. It's kind of funny, and it kind of drives us nuts because we take such care, even moisture in the air in the warehouse for running fans on a high moisture day, or, or or, or not hauling in the rain or anything. Do you like guys that. run dehumidifiers back out, out there? Just fans. Just fans. But we've got. You know, suck fans and blow fans. So gotcha. we don't ever have a problem with that. But it's funny the amount of time we put into being or, or taking moisture into consideration. But then you haul it to a guy that throws it in a barn that's got a roof that's not much bigger than the pallet size. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's absolutely. on a dirt floor that's stacked up in mud. You know, so it's kind of. I guess as long as we're doing our job, then that's you know that's all we can do. You know, right? I mean, and like you know, we've talked about before. You know, the time of year is. You know, I mean, I, I've, I've run pellet. Uh, I mean, pretty much until I mean. I'll run pellet probably till right around the spring usually, and then I usually switch over, you know, and I focus more on my mineral sites mm-hmm. than I do anything else. I mean, do, do you recommend running pellet pretty much until till the season or till about September? Absolutely. I mean, the rule of thumb that, that we give people is uh, from antler drop to hardhorn. Antler drop to um, hardhorn. And, you know, we have guys that 
they might start in March and, and stop in August. You know, it's all over the board. But one thing I can say for sure, and, and this is the tool we use to decide when we're switching from our winter stabilizer pellet to our 20% spring-summer pellet, all our guys that are growing deer for a living, that yeah. have on-staff guys that may or may not be dealing with wildlife biologists or nutritionists or whatever, they all pretty much start into December 1st of January, yeah. and they roll till September or, mm. or till they see velvet gone. Yeah, that to me, that I mean, it's it's really changed the game for me. I mean, I, I always tell people, I mean, no matter what you're doing when it comes to hunting whitetails, I mean, it really, it's about your goals more than I mean, because you know, not everybody is after 150 inch deer. You know, I mean, it just might not be what they want, but they do want a healthy herd, right? And if you're, I mean, even if you're just hunting does, I mean. I noticed just in just when I went to feed and pellet, I mean, and, and again, like I said, I've been running your pellet for three years, almost to be the third year, I guess, it's, you know, significant uh, change. Yeah. And I'm on, this is on a 48 acre track. This mm-hmm. is a small track. I've got another, I've got a 93 this year that I'm going to be doing with the 48. So two mm-hmm. different counties. So I'm l- looking forward to seeing what, you know, it's going to take a little while. That's the other thing too. I think a lot of people get real, <laughs> They think, okay, you can't just put pellet out and expect yeah. there to be, you have like, a, you're not going to have a 150-inch buck. I mean, no. I mean, You're I just, not going to pour a 180 out of a bag. No. There's a lot of people that think that. And sadly, in the in the feed and attractants world, people are so eager to grow and kill a big deer, they'll believe anything somebody tells them. And if <laughs> they say every, see on the internet. Oh, yeah. And if they, you know, if a guy tells them every third bag got a 180 in it, they're going to buy three bags to find out. Yeah, And, and that sucks. I mean, it. You know it, but it's the truth. I mean, and that that leaves us a lot of times in a in a aggravating spot, I guess, because you know when we have a customer call up that that wants to know why they should choose our pellet, and you know I go into all the things we're proud of. We yeah. spent tons of man hours on, and that's you know telling them you're going to get probiotics, prebiotics, organic dewormers, organic tick control, two different chelates on the on the vitamin and mineral side, elevated bypass protein, but. All they want to know is what does it cost them to the deer eat it, <laughs> <laughs> and it it really is a a funny thing, you know. Um, but that's just one of them things you it, keep on plugging along. Your your pellet also, like you mentioned, the dewormer and the debug. This is the first year I've even noted realized that that was even in. The, you know, that's how ignorant I was to it. I mean, and that's a huge deal. You know, um, yeah. I had a guy you know at a at the Buckarama trying to sell me like, hey, this is just debug or dewormer, and I'm going, you know what, I think my 4S uh, protein has that stuff in it already. So, yeah, yeah thanks, bud. You know, but, you know, yeah, uh, I mean, but it, that that's a huge deal. Just just getting that kind of stuff off of them. You know, I mean, it, yeah, it is. And, and we try to a lot of times track things that the, the dairy industry is doing, um, like the organic dewormer and, and organic tick control we use. Um, that's something that we've seen a lot of dairymen use. And, you know, I don't know of a time that I've ever seen milk bring a lot of money. Right, and exactly. I really find it hard to believe that a dairyman would be using something that's not working. Exactly. So if 100%. they're using something, we feel like it it would be something that works. You know, I mean, milk's and, a high commodity. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of that stuff's not very expensive. To, right. You know, to to add to a feed, it's just yeah. a matter of doing it. And we try to do everything we can to make every single thing we can as good as we can make it. You know, we don't we don't start out looking at the product or any product like it's um how much money can you make on it we make it as good as we can yeah and then figure out a way to make it affordable where it's buying large volumes of empty containers or whatever it is you know right. freight issues whatever 
I mean, for a guy who's got, you know, five acres on a, um, and I, I don't like to use this a lot when I'm talking to people, you know, because a lot of the guy, people who listen to podcasts are just normal hunters. Mm-hmm. I mean, a guy, you know, typical hunting club guy, he's got, I mean, I'm blessed to have the 48 acres I've got, and it's just me and my daddy. And then, you know, mm-hmm. and then I'm, well, this year we're going to have that plus 93. So we're going to have a lot of, you know, property ourselves. We can definitely be able to grow deer on it, definitely be able to hold deer on it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, you know, for a guy, I, I, I do remember being in a hunting club going, you know, I have two spots that consist of maybe two and a half acres a piece, maybe. You know, there's 30 dudes in here. Uh, and, I, I mean, I, I would like to feed the, my deer protein. I would like to feed my deer, uh, put a nice food plot where I've done soil testing and everything. I mean, <sighs> How, what would you say to a guy that that's in that situation? Can, mm-hmm. can it still be effective it's in a, a yeah? I mean, in an over kind of I want to say over hunted, but you know, over kind of crowded area, you know, where he can use that. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. So, I mean, the first part of it you touched on a guy that's got a small place is it worth feeding, right? I mean, is that oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. I can tell you one hundred percent that's where okay. it is. <laughs> um, I mean, I've got a guy that's a friend of mine that's in Macon, Georgia. Um, he's got seventeen acres. And he's surrounded by a lot of woodland, and he put a big trough right in the middle of it. And he said, man, it's like I got 500 acres now because the bucks are traveling for the protein. Yeah. Um, you know, now he's got that 17 acres set up like it's 1,000 acres. He's got a little sanctuary. He's got a perennial yeah. plot, an annual plot, a water trough, his mineral site. But so the main answer to the question after, you know, I said that is, um, is yes. I mean, you obviously would have close neighbors if you have a smaller track that yeah. can potentially shoot your deer. But – if you can treat that small place like a big place, you know, yeah. have your sanctuary and things, but the, uh, you know, perennial plots, annual plots, mineral sites, whatever, but um, they're going to travel for that protein, though, and if you're the only guy feeding, yeah, you know, that's even better. But, I mean, like I said, the smaller the track, the better the chance they can step across the line. But, you know, we try to have people like that when they're wanting to feed, you know, to meet with their neighbors and yeah, talk about the quality of having a co-op. Oh, absolutely. absolutely work. I mean, I was just on the phone with a guy from Georgia. They've got about a 4,500-acre co-op set up. And Ooh, I, I think beautiful. this year they killed three 160s and had a 173 get killed by a truck. Free range. <laughs> yeah. You Free know, range. and it's because the co-op's working. And he doesn't particularly have – I don't remember what he said, but he's the smaller landowner of that guy, so of that co-op. So it works. We created one um, in our county that uh, me and a friend of mine, we, we – get some land and, and, and trick it out for people to get it turnkey ready. And we created a co-op there and it's, it's doing phenomenal. Um, they, they killed a 160 there. Um, I mean, that's the value. That, it's the value of your neighbors. I mean, yep. I mean, we, we've talked about it on the show a hundred times. I mean, it just me texting my neighbor, I think has you know, definitely grown the quality of our deer. Definitely has done a lot for not only the bucks, but the, the does too. I mean, mm-hmm. how many does we all take? And I mean, that's just, yeah, information. Yeah, it's, it's and, I, and I love what you deal. love what you said too about treat a small place like a big place. That I mean, I, I've been looking for a way to describe kind of what I've what me and my dad have done. I mean, it's like that's exactly what we've done. We we I mean, we have forty like forty eight acres, but there's at least thirteen acres we don't even touch. Right. It's a complete sanctuary. We yeah. don't go anywhere near it. Uh, I think that's just that's a great point for people to you know really pay attention to. 
You know, um, I mean, and kind of on that same token, man, uh, I've had, uh, I've struggled with this a lot. Okay, so food plots. You guys, you know, the one thing about 4S, you guys are not, you guys are not the pro, just a protein company. You're not an attracting, just an attracting company. You guys do the entire system. That's, mm-hmm. what, I mean, I was telling Caleb when we pulled up, I said, you know, it's, they're, they're not just like these little two trick, three trick ponies. They're, they have an entire system they follow. Yep. I mean, and, and so food plots being a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I mean, I grew up, my dad, you know, pretty much, <laughs> my dad, you know, said, hey, uh, walk down about 20 yards and then here's this metal rake, get mm-hmm. after it, make sure there's nothing on the ground, come back, throw, you know, throw and grow, right cover it. That's it. <laughs> and that's how, I mean, and, and, you know, he wouldn't be satisfied till the daggum thing was, you know, 70 yards. And I'm, you know, I'm an eight year old kid out there going, oh, "Is this going to work? It's yeah. going to absolutely work." You know, so, yeah. um, and it, pretty much that's been my experience with you know with, with food plots. I mean, I'm being honest. I mean, I've never had access to it. We've never had access to a tractor or harrow or anything like that to hmm. to even just cut into the ground. I've heard tons of things about food plots and how you and, and but that is literally the only experience I've ever had. And you know, the older I got, I go, you know, man. My dad's not old enough. He's too old to be out here helping me cut anything. So I'm doing good just to cut, just to cut trails and cut yeah. shooting lanes and get stands hung. Man, I ain't about to go out there and rake, you know, a half acre food plot. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I just I just can't do it. So I mean, and, and I think yeah, obviously that that does kind of boil down to a personal choice. There is another avenue I'm pretty sure you could take, but I mean, but what is the value? I mean, you could still go rent some a piece of equipment from a Home Depot. You know, that can hook up to the back of a four wheeler, and you can, I yeah. mean, you can get it done. I mean, your neighbor, you know, some, yeah, somebody right there's got a piece of equipment right, right there, exactly. somewhere, you know, and it's not. I mean, we have a lot of guys that do that because it's so much cheaper to throw a guy a couple hundred bucks than it is to try to keep up a piece of equipment just to plant your food plots, you know. Um, yeah, and just like with plot blends, just like anything else we do, you know, we try to fix problems. That's why we have so many products. It's not really in an effort to grow our profit margin, but. Our name, you know, the last word being solutions. We try to find solutions yeah. to problems and fix them, and and we do that with food plot blends. I mean, you see all this trash in these bags that is only there because it turns green, or you got you got stuff in a bag that's not going to do well if it's planted any deeper yeah. than a quarter inch, like clover and chicory. Then you got stuff like beans that that need dirt. Um, or small grains that need more dirt than, say, clover and chicory, and, and they're all in the same bag, and there's right. no way to plant that successfully. Yeah, so I like, mean, and like for years, I, I planted, the, the you know, there's ryegrass blends in just about every cheap throw and grow you can find, and that's grass, and they don't even eat it. Yeah, we, <laughs> we see more and more of that stuff, too, and, you know, we have our, our big seed separated from our small seed because right. we got so many guys that are big box, small box drilling. They want it separate to achieve, you know, optimal results. But but the funniest thing we see is on products like that or, or uh, ingredients and in blends is people see it on a bag in a store, and they think it's good because of that. Oh, so yeah. People I'm, see ryegrass. Hey, man, seven ninety nine at Walmart. You can't beat that. <laughs> well, I mean, people see, you know, people see ryegrass on a bag, so they think it must be good. It, these guys sell it. You know, you there's see. A, there's a buck with a horns on the front. Yeah, I mean, you see, uh, you see crimson clover, yeah. you know, which is, you know, in, in my opinion, the, the low-end clover. You see uh, Austrian winter peas. 
we used to do a ton of custom planting, and I have never once seen deer eat Austrian winter peas. Now, really, that's all I used to plant in food plants. Well, maybe that's that's me. Maybe other people have great luck. Now you've got, but, a, but there was other things in it too. Yeah. Now you've got a Frostmaster and a Whistler that they're a little sweeter, and I've seen deer eat those winter peas. But you know, Austrian winter peas are one of those things that people see on the bag, so they think it must be great. You know, they look beautiful. You'll want to get down there and eat them yourself. But <laughs> right, right. Um, the funniest thing we see on food plots is is guys talking about. You know, whatever they're planting, man, that stuff's knee deep, man, that stuff's waist deep. But, you know, that's not a pretty food plot. A pretty food plot's an inch or two tall. That yeah. Means, that means they're eating it, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff you can plant that deer don't eat, you know? The only food plot I've seen like that was one of yours, and it's only because y'all had it fenced off. You yeah. Know? And it was like chest high, and I was like, good God almighty, that's great. I mean, yeah. you know, that that's, you know, food, for food plots, you know, I mean, I think a guy like me that, you know, just, that I don't have a whole lot of knowledge on, this year I am doing it. I mm-hmm. am doing it. I'm going to, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm going to be using. I'm probably going to use the. Uh, I think it's the southern. Uh, is it the southern forage or uh, um, harvest advantage? Yeah, one of those. Yeah, pound bag. Yeah, Big, yeah, yeah. I'm going to use that. And I, and I'm, I'm not. You know. So this is kind of how I think, and I think I, I really feel like I think like a normal guy who doesn't know a whole lot about food plots. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, you know, I know deer love soybeans, and I know they love peanuts, mm-hmm. and and if I make that my main thing, and I put it my secondary you know, in with, you know, one, one of your products that ought to make a killer food plot, you know, now granted, you know, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to run a Harrow and I'm probably going to do it with my four wheeler, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I, luckily I do realize there are things to take into consideration like soil samples. Like mm-hmm. I think a lot of that gets overlooked a lot. I mean, like coming from more my background with food plots, I mean, it, it gets a rake, throw, grow, go, you know, mm-hmm. and you're not, I mean, it starts pretty much now. I mean, you should be getting a soil sample. I mean, if you're, I mean, pretty much we're going to be on a power line. I mean, which I think a lot of guys do put food plots on power lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's a great thing or not, but you know, for me, you know, I, I know. Okay, I know I need to get a soil sample. Um, don't know a whole lot about you know how you know the levels, the, the nitrogen in the soil, how mm-hmm. that works, and the uh, pH levels. I mean, I mean. How do you find like a, the optimal pH balance for what you want to plan? I mean, I mean, how does that all that work in conjunction? I mean, there's a lot to be said. There's a there, lot to be so, said there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you saying about you know working on something now? I mean, we were liming some of our new ground last week. Really? And it's stuff that some of which we'll we'll plant beans on. We've got our own Roundup Ready soybean now that we've been working on for years, and finally mm-hmm. got it finished up. So we'll be releasing that this year, but. Okay. Some of our ground will go in that, but a lot of what we're liming is stuff we're going to plant in the fall because it takes, you know, it could take up to six months for lime to get activated in your soil. But right, you know, a good rule of thumb I use um, if we're ever doing land evaluations or just giving guys tips, and you don't want to go through the effort of pulling samples. Um, if it's never seen lime, we we'll go ahead and put a ton and a half to the acre. Ton and a half to the acre. Um, and if you can get a, a truck in there to spread it for you. It'll probably cost you fifty bucks a ton. Where if you go buy a bag lime, you're going to spend two or three hundred dollars a ton, and really? you got to do it yourself. And, and and what we see with guys using bag lime is you never put out enough. Yeah, you okay. might need a ton and a half, but you start putting that stuff out, and you're like, oh, that's enough, and you only put out half as much. Um, and and just the nutrition in the ground in general. Like we'll have guys come in the shop, they'll buy ten bags of seed and two bags of fertilizer, and it should be the exact opposite. You know, they just, they know that that seed's producing something they can see, but the fertilizer's not. And there's very clear uh, proof and evidence out there of, of better dirt and, and higher um, 
nutrition feeding the plants creates a lot more attraction for yeah, those deer. I mean, it it might can look good either way, but it you'll definitely see a difference in the in the um, attraction and the consumption on them. Do you see a difference between the powder lime and the pellet lime? Honestly, I've never studied it enough to know on that because we stay try to stay with ag lime. We've had to do some bag lime recently just because I got some spots that are so nasty I can't can't get Hard the spreader get truck into. in there. But I really don't I really don't know. Um, but lime is a lime is a big thing to to go on and and get going on to have it there. You know, yeah. in, in plenty amount of time. Um, but there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff that goes with with planting, but I also think people overthink it a lot of times. Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like that's what I'm about to do. Like, <laughs> like I've had guys standing at our our old warehouse, which had the concrete pad and then gravel out there, and they're standing at the front door looking at me. I'm looking at them, and behind them is the gravel, and they're telling me how they can't get clover to grow. But I'm looking behind them, and clover's growing. You're growing through the gravel in the gravel where people spilled it, and they're just planting too deep. You know, man, I got it all in my backyard, and I cannot get rid of it. I yeah. can't get rid of it. Like I mean, there's nothing I can do to get rid of it. It's just there. Yeah. I've got four. I've got lucky charms all over my backyard. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I think people are just trying too hard on a lot of this stuff. Like um, like alfalfa. I mean, I I've got some Roundup Ready alfalfa on some of our spots and. You mentioned alfalfa to people, and you know they they run and get scared because they think you've got to have irrigation and do all this stuff. But in my opinion, the reason people think that alfalfa can't grow without irrigation is because they see people out west if they have alfalfa, they're yeah. they're irrigating it. But that's not to keep it alive, in my opinion. That's because they're harvesting it. Yeah, and they're, they're trying selling to it. <laughs> grow as much as they can. But you know, it, it's a good deep rooted plant. That I mean, nothing does good in a drought, but um, you know, that's something good to yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to food plots, I mean, do you see a, an effectiveness with how it's laid out? I mean, mm-hmm. do you see an advantage to that? Or, I mean, is there, I, again, I'm, I'm going based on what I know. Down, a, down the clearest road in between, I mean, it's just a road and it's mm-hmm. just in a straight line. Mm-hmm. You know, you see these hunting shows and you see just guys on video. I mean, it's, it's in circles. It's in a, a half moon shape mm-hmm. sometimes. And. I mean, do, is there? Do you see an advantage to doing it a certain way like that, or shape? I do, but it's really hard for guys because I mean, if you're like me, I'd rather have a plot uh, layout that I don't necessarily like versus putting a dozer in there and clearing out a bunch of trees. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, I, so I mean, a lot of mine could be different. I, I do really and have seen trees being in a plot being a really cool thing. Yeah, um, just to kind of break it up some. Right. Um, having some soft edges leading into those plots. Okay. Um, you know, placing plots to where um, you can think about how you're going to get to that stand versus yeah. where the bedding area is that you think they're coming from to get to that food source. So right. some of that stuff to me would be more important than the shape of it. I mean, I, I don't like a square around plot. You know, I like the little fingers coming off yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But one reason I like that is because I can have that <laughs> finger coming off and I can use things like Egyptian wheat to create travel corridors inside that plot and create edges and guide them where I want them. And then like, if I've got that little hidden finger that, you know, say you got a big giant square plot, then you've got that little finger that's 20 yards across by whatever, 50 yards long. I can hang a lock on there and and I can put a bait pile there and it's planted. So to me, I've got a better chance of that big giant buck that really doesn't want to enter that big plot, but he'll step out in that little sliver and, and eyeball that that bigger plot um and if you're using like egyptian wheat as a guide i mean yeah. that is a very good tool and we can 
be I'd be glad to discuss it with you if, if you want to. But that's yeah. something that I mean, you know, co- you know, cover, co- uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, we, we buy food plot stuff, seed, and everything, but a lot of people don't talk about planning for cover. I mean, mm-hmm. planning your your, you know, forever. I've struggled with whole, you know, I can't get into a place, you know, mm-hmm. uh, without you know having people or having a deer pick me off. And a lot of that, I think, has you know way more to do with. Uh, I mean, I've got nothing to cover me, but if I planted something, you know, as a as a cover, you know, and and turns out, I mean, the, when I did a little bit of research on it, there's a whole. That's a whole. I mean, I, I, do you guys sell something like that where you, uh, yeah, you know, that it's made for not necessarily for food, but it's made for cover. Yeah, something you don't want the deer to eat. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, we do. I mean, we don't have a blend that we do, but Egyptian wheat we source for a lot of our customers because we're a. Other than our blends, um, we get any seed you could ever think of wholesale, and, and we get that stuff kind of as a service to our feed buyers. Gotcha. Um, we really don't make very much on it. We just market enough to cover shop expenses. There it we is. We just use it as a help. But Egyptian wheat is a is a really cool plant. It'll grow in the worst drought. Um, not very expensive, but um, I've done plot layouts before where I didn't have a natural soft edge, so I'd plant a ring yeah. with that stuff around the edges. And then right from a lock-on going out, I'd plant a strip, whatever, 10, 12, 15 foot wide that goes all the way across the plot. So deer being an edge animal, it creates edges. Yeah, that's exactly right. And of course, it'd be planted on either side. And then right before season, I'll go 20 yards out from that lock-on just with my feet and stomp out Jeez. an opening right there. And then I'll open it up with my feet where I want the deer to guide to come into the plot. Right. And you can do that based on what you think your wind direction is going to be for that year or the bedding area. But you would be blown away at how those tracks just hourglass right into that opening and then put them right in front of you and give you your bow shot. You know, that was going to be my next thing. I mean, setting up a food plot to where, you know, I mean, I, I, you, obviously you want deer to come and come mm-hmm. into it, but is there a way to, to coerce them in there and using that Egyptian wheat is actually it's huge. It's huge. Gotcha. It is a big deal, man. And it, it really, I mean, even, even in a hardwooded area that's surrounding it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's really neat to, watch what happens with that and and thinking about like how an animal is going to be facing like we're we're doing something with our youtube right now series on on some land management and stuff and we were clearing a new plot that's actually an add-on to a different one and and we busted it in half by planting some uh uh, chinese chestnuts and some uh chinkapins and uh, gobbler sawtooth and things like that so we broke it in half but there was this um there was a two piles, two piles of stuff from where it was logged mm-hmm. that we left intentionally. I mean, it would have been hard to get rid of, but we left it intentionally to create uh, create a guide that they would come around right there. And there was a pine tree that's probably 15 foot tall right there that we were able to leave. And you can just tell by where those piles are in that pine tree. Yeah. It is absolutely going to be a scent marking tree. Yeah. I mean, they're absolutely going to come over there and check that thing. And the way that stands laid out, we're going to try to see if this works. I've never done this before, but we're going to try to limb that thing to where we leave the low hanging limb that we want them to see. Oh, lock yeah. On, where they're <laughs> sideways for a bow shot from the lock on. Yeah, supposedly now, I mean, I don't, I can't remember. I don't know where I heard this from, but like the Native Americans, they would, they would do that to like, you know, point toward camp or water or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they would actually bend those, those limbs and they would grow, grow that particular mm-hmm. way to point where mm-hmm. they wanted to go. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, what what I just said about where we're trying to leave that limb. Right. I mean, that might be 
totally stupid. It might not work. Mm, I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's ingenious actually. If it doesn't work, it's nothing but a chance. Worth the shot. Take it out. You know. Hey, I just. I yeah. mean, you know they're going to check it. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you put a you put a mock scrape under it, or there'll probably be a real scrape under it. But I mean, if we can manipulate where they come to it and give that broadside. You know, I mean, it'll be neat to see if it works. You know, when I first saw that, I thought, you know, how cool would that be to set yourself up like a tree, but make it a stand? You could probably bend it into That's what y'all should try. Yeah. <laughs> see if you can bend it into like where you could climb up it and kind of get halfway. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to have a lock on. It just, The tree grew that way. Yeah. <laughs> it took, took 25 years to get this thing working. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a family heirloom. You yeah. can just leave. My luck and finally get right in and the tornado would roll yeah, through. Yeah, tornado would roll through or get hit by a you know, when, when, you know, play, we talked about, you know, some guys will just go blow through a piece of hardwood, get in there with a dozer, just, you know, hey, bam, there it is, um, versus trying to find a spot. You know, when you place your food plots on, you know, you've got kind of, you've got big tracks. So, again, my, my situation, I've got a uh, power line. Okay, I'm going to definitely probably do a full acre. I've got enough to pretty much do an entire full acre. I might not need, need to do a full acre, maybe just a half, but... Um, you know, there's one side. Now there's another. The other side would be a great place to have a food plot too, because just for the sake of the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, is that number one? Is that smart? And and I guess I'm asking too in relation to food, when you put a food plot down. I mean, in relation to water, in relation to bedding. I mean, what what do you see as the most optimal? Uh. It wouldn't be water for me. Yeah, I don't focus on water a lot, and I might be wrong, but it'd be it'd be figuring out where they're where they're coming from. So, okay, I mean to give you a, a good example and and something I can say about planning, you know, think about what that farm is going to look like ten years from now. Okay, I mean I've got a uh, two spots on mine where I planted about six hundred sawtooths probably twenty five years ago, and two of the three spots suck. Yeah, I didn't have the vision to think about what that farm was going to look like 25 years from now. So now I've got one of them in particular that where the bedding areas are, there's no possible way that the deer can get to those sawtooths when they're dropping until it's way past dark. It's such a vast space of bedding area that they come to. I really can't have a lot of success getting between them without manipulating them with a pile of draw or something. Right. And if you go down in the morning, you blow them out. Yeah. You know, so I, I didn't have the knowledge to think ahead. So mm-hmm. that would be something I would think about when, when creating something like that is, you know, yeah. foreshadowing what the place might look like, you know. I think, that, I think that's a great way. You know, I mean, I, I've got a friend of mine. He's got five food plots. And, the, and what he does, I think out of the five, he hunts about two or three of them. But the other two, he typically leaves them as sanctuary plots. They don't hunt them. They don't go food near plots, them. not kill plots. Yeah, 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 exactly. Food plots, not a kill plot. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he was asking me, you know, he's like, you know what, I would wonder if, you know, is it stupid to, you know, I mean, would you see an advantage to maybe, okay, this year it's a sanctuary plot, you know, or the these, first, these two years a sanctuary plot. Now I'm going to change the game, I guess, basically. Pull off of the normal kill plot, jump on that sanctuary plot. Now the kill plot that you had the year before is now the sanctuary plot. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you say that's a – is that a decent strategy, or I mean, or is it something? I would um, first. I'd say I don't know, but secondly, I would say that I would base that on whether there was a deer coming to the one that I didn't want to hunt over that I just that changed my mind. Oh, so, I see. So to give an example, earlier I said that I don't hunt over feeders, and, and that's true. But um, I did go in and put 
uh, a feeder we have that a friend of ours designed as a customer of the lock-on feeders. Well, we saw that. We were out of that jugger. Yeah, they're, they're really cool. <laughs> so I did go in and put those in front of most of my lock-ons, and in the event of big buck coming to that feeder, I, I will hunt over a feeder. So I yeah. would say with that, if you got cameras on what you're calling your, your food plots and not your kill plots, but all of a sudden there's a giant, Yeah, I'm definitely not going to go hope he comes to the kill plot. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to the... <laughs> You know, to that, um, I think but, I think his mindset was, uh, I guess, thinking long term. You know, baby learns from mama, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the fawns are going to be learning the right. they're establishing those patterns early on. And I think his logic was, well, <clears throat> this button buck's going to learn. This is where we go get food. But I think his concern was, okay, now we're not getting food from here because this is we're getting shot at now. Yeah. And then now what? Na- yeah. Now now what? I mean, did they? It is maybe that causes undue stress about year number three and a half, right before he starts blowing up into what be, right. being something. So I think that was his his uh, his method. It, that was his thought. But it makes sense. I mean, stress is a big problem. You know, when when <laughs> when people get stressed out. They do one or two things with food. They quit eating or, or they overeat. Yeah, overeat. Stress, you know, when deer get stressed out, they don't eat. They don't know? eat. Okay. So it's a good good thing to have. And, and that leads me to something I was going to say a minute ago about plots, something that I've really found a lot of success with with food plotting is never clearing that plate and mm-hmm. always having something there. And being here in central and south Georgia, we get such a late frost. You know, if you're planting Ain't a late – truth. <laughs> if you're planting like a late group soybean, you might have green beans – deep into deer season yeah mm-hmm. um so what we've done in a lot of our places is if you've got a big giant plot you could plant um beans or whatever you're planting for the summer right all the way across it and then if you don't have an overpopulation of deer you come back and plant half of it in your fall stuff and leave those beans standing okay or better than that so don't even clear the plate don't. right now better than that, what we've been encouraging people to do is to have dedicated summer plots and dedicated fall plots. Right. And of course over the years you swap those around so you don't keep planting the same thing in the yeah. same place and creating disease in the ground. But that has been something that has been great. Now it doesn't necessarily have to be two different plots. You could have a big plot that one side's your dedicated summer and one side's your dedicated fall. Um, you know, we've been encouraging people too to third one up if it's a big one. You can have your perennials in one spot. Your summer annuals in one spot yep. and your fall annuals in the spot. Got it. But where that's been really great with this late frost is you, you put your lock on or whatever stand you got on your beans, and they're still there. You go in mid-September, 1st of October, plant your fall stuff. They're still eating your beans. Your fall stuff's coming on. By the time the frost kills your beans, your fall crops up. You just you already have a stand there. You just yeah. move from that summer stand, you know, summer planting area yeah. to your fall area, and you just abandon that spot and just leave it sitting there. That's that's great. And that's a big deal. I mean, it, it does double the amount of food plot acres you need to yeah. totally be successful with it. But it's such an important tool. I would even do it if I didn't have enough plot acres. And I right. would just fertilize more maybe so I could grow more tonnage of food mm. on the acres I do have. Honestly, a lot of what was holding me back was like, I, I just don't want to deal with having to figure out, okay, at some point, you know, I mean, what if I get lazy one year? You know, I would just... But ultimately, I think I just had to tell myself, like, look, just we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whether we do it really poorly, but we're going to do it. You know, I'm going to – it could be soybeans one, you know, this year, and then next year maybe we'll switch over to whatever. You know, maybe – I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if you – would you do something like a beans and then switch it over perennial the year? I mean, or is that where you – you're talking about doing half and half with the perennials. And, yeah, or either having your dedicated summer yeah, plots, you know. Gotcha. And, of course, we've got a 
summer success blend we have is a really neat summer blend that's yes. sun hemp, Ashenominy joint vetch, and Atlas clover. Um, What's the one that you guys have where, um, you know, maybe people like it, I guess, northern Al- kind of the northern hemisphere of us, like kind of clover where the sugar comes up, and uh, I think that's the whole science behind it was, is the fact that it's probably not going to work great in middle Georgia just because, like you said, we sure. don't get a we, – we're just now getting a, fro- a frost, but, you know – up north, they'll get it before we do. Yep, that's then, your brassicas. That's the brassicas. Okay. Yeah, we we have our our. Southern, it takes two frosts or something. Or yeah, three frosts it, it takes a good up. hard frost. That's uh, um, you know, we've got our southern blends that are lighter in brassicas, and our northern blends are heavier in brassicas, like you were saying. Yeah. Now, what we've noticed is daikon radish being a brassica, but they will actually eat the tops out of the daikons pre-frost. Mm-hmm. Most everything else, they'll wait on a frost. Now, you'll have some places that are just weird. I'll tell people that, and they're yeah. like, dude, you're so wrong. They smash our turnips as soon as they pop, yeah. whatever. But And I'm, and I'm sure they're, they're right, but most of the time you need that frost. But I like having some brassicas in the blend. Not too many, and you have to be careful because guys love to see brassicas because they're big, beautiful leaves, and the, the real trick is the deer are not eating them, so they're there, so they see them. So yeah. They think they're beautiful, but – I like to have just enough for that late season. When you finally get that frost, deer season's probably over, but there's nothing else to eat in the woods. Mm-hmm. And them sugars come up in that plant and they eat it, and it gives them a great boost of energy to get through that stressful period of you know February and March when there's just absolutely nothing to eat. So that's that's why we put a little bit of brassica in some of our gotcha. some of our blends. You know, I, I've been. Uh, I mean, I definitely want to talk your mineral a little bit, and. Uh, and to be honest, I mean, I'll just tell everybody. I mean, if you really want to know how to put mineral, uh, go on YouTube, go to uh, 4S Advanced Wildlife Solutions. Bruce does an incredible job on several of his videos on how they put out the um, mineral. So funny story with your mineral. I, I went to the sh- I, I went to the store and, and I picked up a bag of draw, thinking that was the mineral. This is how dumb I can be. I just didn't even pay attention. Uh, followed. I, I watched your video, but they did. At the time, I think, you know, uh, it, it was a brown bag you cut it from, and, you know, they come in a white bag now. <laughs> oh, our old, yeah, our old yeah. mineral bag, yeah. Yeah, so I, I was like, I was confused. So I was like, yeah. hell, <laughs> this is it, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I buried me some draw, and, you know, I said, well, I can't wait for this to see them to dig this thing up. But no, it, 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 y'all's antler addict is the, that's your mineral. Um, and there's some new videos coming up, by the way. Um, Mark Woolley is doing a lot of, uh, camera work and, and, and trying it's, to it looks great boost our youtube so we're, we're, we'll have a lot of new videos coming out i think him and eric campbell did some videos recently on on proper uh mineral usage techniques and stuff yeah. like that so y'all can the one you made i mean that. that 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 taught me a whole lot and you know um again again i'm this is not a whole infomercial for us guys i'm just telling you i have used this stuff i know it works and i'm telling you what i've done and i'm you know uh but i've been wanting to tell bruce about it it's just uh, so I bought the antler out of block mm. and this and I, and you know, and, I love that block. Yeah, man. Kelby, Kelby and I, um, you know, Kelby was the one that said, Hey, listen, the deer are not going to be worried so much about, I mean, they're going to hit the protein. They'll hit it, you know, like normal. But if you really want to boost them real good, put that mineral out or just go get the block. If you're not sure, if you can't pick, figure out what bag, if you're too dumb to figure out what bag it is. <laughs> and I said, okay, fine. You know, so I go grab the block and I put it, you know, and I'm, you know, again, I'm old. You know, I say I'm old school. I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, I put it to, put it to a fence post, put it in there. Okay. I, two days ago, I finally knocked that block down by the way. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, it, it did exactly. And, you know, and I'll be honest, Bruce, I, when, when I, when I first 
they killed it. They, I mean, absolutely during the summer and spring, these deer, they absolutely they annihilated it. Now, it was just like it was like a light switch. Mm-hmm. I mean, as soon as we got into pretty much hardhorn, they weren't hitting it as much. And forever, yep. I didn't, you know, I told Kelby, I was like, well, I don't know, man. I mean, kind of disappointed, man, because you know, I mean, everything else they have works so great. Why does the antler at the block not work that great? He's like, well, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, you know, it's like, well. They stopped pretty much coming to. It's like, dude, they don't care about the mineral right now. You, you got, you got. Right now, they're looking for, they're looking for corn. They're looking for, they're looking for all kind of other everything else. They're not, and that's so, and that's, and I think in the video you even pointed that out was the fact yeah. that during the spring and the summer, that's what they're looking for is that mineral, and they'll dig, and they'll dig a trench for it. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's true. I mean, the deer will tell you what they need. I mean yeah. that that block is actually a real mineral block. I mean it's only thirty percent salt, where a lot of products on the market are above ninety percent. Yeah, that was the other thing that was kind of kind of interesting to me because I've never had a yeah. block that's done that. It's the real, <laughs> it's the real thing. So yeah. if, if they're eating the antlerotic mineral block, they definitely need vitamin and mineral. Yeah. Now some of the products that are you know above ninety percent salt you'll see on the market that are on the mineral side, they might would eat those a little more going into the winter just because there's such a low content of vitamins and minerals. But but to me, it's just a great, great sign there that they stop. Like I had a peaceful debate with a guy years ago at the office about about mineral. And he said, you know, I don't believe in deer mineral. He said, I don't mean yours. I just mean any. <laughs> he said, I love the pellets, but I don't I don't believe in deer mineral. I said, well, uh, they don't eat it in the wintertime. He said, see, there's my point. And I said, no, that's my point. <laughs> yes. And if they kill it when they're growing body and antler, but they won't touch it after that, that tells you they needed it when they were growing body and antler. If they ate it all year, I could probably say, well, maybe they don't need it. Yeah. You know, but that's kind of like a good 20% ration. And, and this doesn't happen all the time. But with a good pellet, and, and, and they, y'all know how they vary. I mean, yeah. you got weeks that they don't eat as much and weeks they do eat more. And right. a lot of times nobody knows why if it's in a particular season. But, Hey, certain parts of the year, you could put corn with a good pellet, mm-hmm. like during the growing months, and they'll pick out the pellets and leave the corn. Yeah. And then in the winter, you could put the corn with a good 20% pellet, and they'll pick out the corn and leave the pellet. Yeah. You know, they're, they're telling happens. you what they need. You know, I mean, it's, it's really neat how they. I, I, I think that's probably one of the best things you can say about how, how to feed deer and grow deer. I mean, they will absolutely, just by their action, will tell you what they need. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, man, I've got to tell, I've got to ask you about the. Um, this is one of my most favorite products. That uh, it's my new favorite four S product, and it's not even really that new. I think it's the only year old. Okay, we're we're done with the mineral. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about all my favorite stuff, the attractants. I'm sorry. Okay, so the roasted rack. That is my jam. I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> I've killed every deer we killed off of one stand, and we killed about five deer off the stand. And they were all shot over a roasted rack mm-hmm. <laughs> on the ground, and that, and that's yeah. not particularly. I don't think y'all designed that necessarily to go necessarily on the ground. It's more of a feeder, right? I mean, is that was y'all's original intent, or? Uh, I mean, my my thing with roasted racks is we have a lot of guys that are always just going to be spinner guys. Yeah, you know, broadcast spinner guys. They just maybe don't have time to keep protein feeders full, or just sure. not interested, whatever. So this is something that you can give your deer twice as much protein as you can with corn, um, and it'll run through a spinner, but far as putting it on the ground yeah i mean it, it's for that too i mean so i'm telling you what i yeah what i like about it is you've got um you've got guys that or, or applications that you can put it through spinners and give your deer twice the protein of corn and obviously more attractive then you got guys that can pour it on the ground and, and do things like that but but i'm with you on that man that thing's been 
phenomenal. I mean, we've it's deadly. I mean, it's completely deadly. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, there's a lot of roasted rack covered in blood from from me. I yeah, mean, in my family. Uh, <laughs> it'll definitely help you hemorrhage one in a heartbeat. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a it's a really neat thing. We're looking for a big giant here with that stuff this year. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, I, you can go ahead and write me down for before we leave about for about nine, about at least ten bags of that yeah, uh, comes September. Yeah, it's <laughs> fun, man. It's it's almost weird how good it is. I mean, it it just kind of blows your mind, you know how. And I think it's that it looks like a I say like it's like a tiny little chopped half pea or something in there, uh, and I want to soybean. Yes, it's a soybean. Okay, right. see, this is how dumb I am. You know, it's like tell <laughs> tell yep. I'm just a suburban boy, <laughs> not not a country boy, not a city boy. I'm a suburb boy. <laughs> <laughs> I did play in the woods, but it was just only a little finger that went around our neighborhood. <laughs> so, but um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, I think it was a lot of that. Seems that what they they seem to really hit with that. But I mean, there's there's peanut in it. There's I mean, what, it's a neat. It's it's awesome. It's a neat product. But uh, yeah, try go oh God, please people try for <laughs> try the roasted rack. But um, so I, I I've been trying to shut up about draw the forest draw. This I uh, look. I'm telling you, when I tell you this stuff is, it's the absolute bomb diggity for, for lack of better terms that I cannot say. But just. So let me tell you, let me tell you, Bruce, just my little success story with this mm-hmm. because it's just, you know, Kelby told me about this uh, product, and I said, okay, you know, and I've seen it. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, this is the given. I mean, I had mistaken it for minerals <laughs> earlier in the year. Are you talking about draw now or the rack? Draw. Okay. I'm talking about draw. Yeah. So we're talking about draw, and um, you know, so I, I picked up. Uh, uh, I'll be honest, I picked up a little po- uh, the po- I, I think we call them the, y'all call them the po boy bags, the little. Uh, Oh, the tall boy, the shooter, little skinny bag. yeah, little shooter, but shooter bags, backpack bag, yeah. yeah, which is completely genius. But uh, um, anyway, we go, I go in, I, I pour out one. I'll be honest, first time I didn't see anything over, you know, nothing came to it, mm-hmm. whatever. Okay, well, so Kelby was like, well, why don't you try some more? Just go get it, get a bigger bag, get one of the bigger bags, and uh, you know, just, I think it, I think it's a ten pound bag, right? Yep, ten and a half, and then a twenty five. Yeah. Yep. So I, and I, and I, okay, so I'll be honest. Not that there's any difference between all three of them, other than the fact that they, you know, just their quantity. But I lovingly call the ten pound bag the pooch bag. I think yeah. you just need to go ahead and just make it a Thirst's Real Pooch Bag Special. <laughs> That's just what I call it. It's the pooch bag. Yeah. I lo- freaking love it. So it's, it's a good size. It's, it's the right size, size. Like for the weekend or whatever. Shoot, it's the right size for any hunt. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. Watch one of the videos of you putting it out. I said, okay. This is how you do it now, and I'm now I'm educated. Now, okay, now I think I can be dangerous. All right, so and sure enough, I come in. I mean, I, it was so, it worked so good. It was the first time I ever did it. <laughs> it was on my trail cam. My, my cell cam picked me up doing it. Walked in, poured it out. Uh, I think I, I did a little small circle. I mean, I don't know, really, you know, I don't know maybe like eh, maybe like a ten foot circle, and then there's enough you can leave it in a pile. And you know, winds in my face. And I had deer come from behind me. And I was like, okay, well, that's pretty cool. And, and oh, there's two or three deer. Okay, well, they were probably already there. No, no. Here come two more deer from, from again, the wind direction. The wind shifted a little bit. And I swear to you, three minutes later, from that direction where that wind had shifted for a period of time, here come three more deer. I now have about 10 deer, maybe 12 deer out in front of me. Bucks, fawns. You know, mm-hmm. you name it, it's out there. Um, I was like, well, shoot, this is great. Well, I'm going to go ahead and get, let me go ahead. And, I was like, you know, it's getting dark. I'm like, I got to get down. I do need meat in the freezer. 
it's not ideal to be blasting one right in front of the entire herd, but yeah. I'll go ahead and do it. I was like, okay, probably a fluke, whatever. No. <laughs> Come back. I was like, you know, I swear, man, these deer could smell it. This is in a, the wrong wind direction. I literally hunted with the wind to my back. Walked in, walked in that way. What I had done, I rubbed. I heard you say some guys were telling you that they had rubbed the rubbed the draw on their feet. Oh, we've got guys that keep boxes with it like an inch deep. To yeah, keep their boots in it. Yeah, I tried that. Yeah. Definitely works. One hundred percent. Now, I mean, I do think you probably should definitely ozone your your boots first, then put it in the bag. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah. sweaty and peanuts is probably not. <laughs> Sweaty nuts is not going. I mean, it's not going to bring in the deer. You know, the, the, salt, the, most, the salty blend. Hit the most sweaty nuts. <laughs> the old salty blend. That's the next for us product. The salty blend. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, uh, but seriously, that I said, you know, what? I'm just going to try throwing this junk up in the air and just see it. What happens? I was in the stand. I was mm-hmm. like, hmm, you know, just I'd already done my little circle in my little uh, ant mound. Well, dadgummit, here they come. Again, by the droves. I, I've hunted this place, Bruce, for six years. The deer don't come in that way. Yeah. They never come that way. They can bust you in a second with their nose. I mean, even if you were running ozone, an ozone unit, which I, yeah. I mean, I, I was, which that should have messed the sin up, in my opinion, anyways, yeah. that far down um, to a point. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I'm telling you, this stuff is I love it. It's dust great magic. Tool. Now, Again, it worked great in my area. Now, I did take it to Kelby's, and he surround. He was his land was uh, surrounded by a lot of lot of big ag. Yeah, I, I, they weren't. I mean, they would hit it, but you know, it's more of a graze kind of. Mm, that's pretty good, you know. Mm. Moving on, but again, you got soybean fields all around that place. Yeah. That for big ag, I mean, that. And it's like I told him, you know, he's like, well, I can't understand why they don't touch these acorns. They, I mean, they weren't even touching the acorns. Right. You know, that just tells me, yeah, well, you're I – mean, and I think that's – it's a situational thing with some of these attractants. I mean, wouldn't you say? I mean, sometimes, oh, yeah. yeah, guys get – I mean, I think that's a lot of where the stuff don't work. Well, yeah, bro, I mean, if you're surround, I mean, if you got the, the, you know, the 50 acres that are surrounded by the 800 mm-hmm. acres of cornfield <laughs> – I'd say you might have a problem. You know, it might, yeah, I, might be a little tough on you. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's, I think there's even the best product in the world is going to have. Sometimes it uh, it doesn't work good. I, from what we understand from all the customer testimony, I mean, the draw has just been phenomenal alongside of other stuff that yeah. people have used. I mean, we get so many floods of positive testimony about it that not that you don't want to hear it, but it like doesn't even excite you anymore because you're right. like, yeah, I know. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Somebody, I mean, somebody shot a 180-inch deer ever raw. Okay. I mean, it's been it's, it's great. Been amazing. I mean, <laughs> we got a lot of guys that just absolutely won't do their deer survey without it because they swear no. they see more deer and more daylight deer using that versus using corn. Yeah. You know? I, I've definitely seen that myself. Yeah, uh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, I just in certain areas, it does work better. I mean, like I said, I'm, I've got a place in, in, in Twigs where, where it just works like gangbusters. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just – you you just open the bag and they're gonna come. They'll be there every single time. I mean, I it, when I I'm not seeing deer. I'm like, well, oh yeah, I've got a little bit of draw left in the backpack, you know, and I'll put oh, it yeah. out. But uh, and Dodge, you know, and the place in, in uh, Dodge County where I hunt, um, you know, uh, yeah, they come by it. But again, like I said, they seem to be not as interested. But there's other there are other things out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now this year I'm going to get on them with a food plot and I'm going to put roasted rack in a pipe feeder and it's going, 
it's going to be on. I'm oh, pretty yeah. sure. I'm pretty sure they won't be able to, like you said, building that uh, attractive one little spot. But uh, that's what I've noticed just from using it myself. But I've also noticed too, um, in the freaking rain, where I don't feel like deer can smell, you know, as good as they can smell. I don't feel. I really feel like they're really hindered, especially in the rain. I've had that stuff work in the downpour. I mean, oh yeah, me too, it, it's it's soaking into the ground. I was like, there's. I was like, well, that's probably lost all of its potency by now. And I said, well, crap, man, I just wasted a whole pooch bag, man. You know, and I gotta go get. I was like, I go around the house and hardware, get me some more. You know, so and, um, but uh, yeah, I, it still worked great in the rain. They still came yeah, yeah. to it in the in the rain. I just I've yeah, never I seen mean, a product do that. I love it. I mean, I, I guess if I had to tell somebody my favorite way or or a. You know, uh, uh, some instructions would be to put it out enough that they know what it is. Okay. Um, whether you're hunting or not. And then don't use it except when you're hunting. Now, we have tons of people that put it out on virgin ground, first time they've ever used it, and have deer come to it. It happens all the time. But I like to train deer to know that odor because it's so strong. Yeah. And then quit. You know, we have guys that want to put it out all the time, but and I know me saying don't do that affects sales. But I mean, you know, we're we're trying to provide products, not, right? I mean, we need to make a living, but that's not the angle of what we do. You know, we try to really help people, and I like, like I said, to put it out, let the deer know what it is on new ground, let the deer know what it is, and then put it out when you're hunting. And yeah, it's a big difference because they're used to smelling it, then it goes away. Yeah, and then they smell it again. Like I've got a an outfitter in Kansas, and they've got thousands of acres and um they do pay hunts so they actually feed forest draw away from their stands when the hunters are not there and three four days before the hunters come they quit feeding period and that smell's going away the day the hunters come they put the pile in front of oh, the stands yeah. <laughs> so all the deer go back to where that spot was what and a they business can't find plan. <laughs> so then they run to the stands and they said it's like those bucks are on crack trying to find a draw and it, it really dramatically increased their daylight sightings and their success i've always got several products in the test phase somewhere uh, kelby's told me about it you know told me that you know usually you've got uh, at least 25 irons in the fire yep, he said he said you're the, their their whole line for the next 10 years is is, is pretty much it probably works, but Bruce is just probably waiting a little bit longer on it or something. He said yep. you're just constantly testing it. I mean, you've said yeah. that a lot in some of your videos. You're usually the last guy that's holding – you're the last man holding out usually no, a lot of the time, yeah. which is good. You know, yeah. I, I, you can't stand behind something that you're not, you know, 100% confident in. But Yep, absolutely. You know, yeah, man, man. If you, make a, if you make another crack product like that, man, I got uh, – <laughs> we, we got some stuff in the works. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. it. When we're going to do some things, but it's uh, tell me you're going to put roasted rack in, in, in a block. You got to, please do. That, do it for me. That's <laughs> that's something we've tried to figure out. I hadn't dove super deep into that one yet, but it's definitely on the radar. Yeah, I, I mean, and honestly, I mean, I know roasted rack's not necessarily so much intended to be it. I mean, did y'all intend for that to be an attractant or more of just like a in-season supplement kind of thing? Both. I, of both. That's what I like about it is it, it can provide both. If if it does have a negative and, you know, believe it or not, I try to find the negatives in, in our products as much as a positive because if there's something we can do to fix a negative, yeah. we would, which in this case we can't. But the negative I have with roasted racks is, like I said before earlier, guys – a lot of times equate high consumption to high success of growing deer. Yeah, yeah. And with that product, they're eating so much of it. Like 
probably a week or two ago, I had a guy call, loves to roast the tracks, and he wants to know, you know he, he feeds about four tons a month or something and wants to know on, on pellets, wants to know should, should he stop feeding pellets and start feeding roasted tracks. And I'm like, no. no, you know, you're not getting vitamins and minerals. You're not getting the many sources of protein and protein or uh, fats and fibers that work different ways in the body. And, this, and that is just something that's very attractive. And the bypass protein is good, but it's just twice the protein of corn. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you had to find a negative in that product, yeah, it's that the consumption is so high. <laughs> a guy might not feed pellets, and that's just a huge mistake. Yeah, my in my uh, opinion, my my, my str- I'll tell you my strategy, and I'm I'm hoping this sounds right. But you know, I was thinking probably right at. You know, I'm predominantly a rifle hunter. I mean, I, I do bow hunt, but you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the most part, um, you know, I pretty much hunt the last. Mainly, I hunt in Georgia the last two weeks of uh, uh, bow season. The, the, for, for, I guess the right the first two weeks before gun season. I guess mainly because. I, I can only, I'll only freeze a deer for two for two weeks before the freaking processor opens. But mm-hmm. uh, I just don't do my own meat. I, I, I have a guy, but the daggum jerker is only open during gun season. So, but uh, any anyway, um, I was thinking probably start roasted racks with um, you know you know like a, with the protein feeder uh, in the you know toward the end of archery and go running into pretty much the pre rut pull off during the rut because they're not going to really stop and hit it much. Yeah. And then maybe come back, uh, come back when they, when they get back on food after the post rut, bring it, reintroduce it back in. Is that a, I mean, you know, that's just my theory. I mean, I don't know if that would work great, but on the know, racks only. Yeah, yeah. On the roasted racks, you know, it, it, but using it in conjunction with like something like the pellet or. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, you could definitely do things like that, I guess. I mean, I, I tend to, if it's something I'm feeding all the time, I don't ever really want to stop, even if I think that the rut might yeah. have them not eating because right. that doe might be eating that the buck is chasing. So she might come to the pile that's, and stop and eat. That's and good. You, you know, then you got the buck right behind her, you know. That's a great point. I mean, and I figure, you know, I mean, once they lock lock in on a doe, usually, I mean, they're, they will, they, you know, contrary to popular belief, they will stop and dip their head down and grab a bite yeah. of something because they, I mean, God, they're tired. I mean, they're wore out. I yeah. mean, and, with the roasted rack, I mean, I noticed, I mean, it's got, it does have, I mean, those soybeans have a lot of, uh, like the big power nutrients in them that, that, that really mm. keeps them going, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a it's a good tool. I mean, like the winter stabilizer late season, you know, to get them built back up. Um, I mean, that's another good thing about the racks that I, that I do like if people are using it, um, late in the season to get the body weights back up going into yeah. the antler growth season. Um, it's, it's, it's good for that. I mean, I'd rather somebody use a pellet like the winter stabilizer just to get the vitamins and minerals kept up in the skeletal system. But it's good. I, I think that it's helping introduce feeding something better than just corn. Yeah. So if a guy's feeding pellets, I guess I was saying the negative is he might try to feed racks instead, but the guys that are only feeding corn are also doing it. So to me, that's a stronger – yeah, you know, it's a good balance of getting those guys going on something that's that's better, and and maybe, you know, if they're paying attention to their deer since they're feeding twice the protein of corn, maybe they'll start to see a difference in their body size and antler size, and it'll lead them into taking care of their deer more, and yeah, maybe get their neighbors on board. I mean, that, and, that's you know, that's literally like that. you're literally telling my story. I mean, that's literally what happened to me. I I, right. I started feeding protein, and pretty much, you know, did only corn, and then now that I've gone so far, I mean, I've I've used your protein product for two years. I've been and then I've used all of your attractants last year. I mean, in addition to finally got your right, <laughs> the right bag of your mineral, <laughs> I, I got it all done. And man, I'm telling you, I, I, now I do want, I want to do every, I want to do my food plots right. I want to do, I mean, and 
that's the great thing about y'all's company is it, it, it's not, again, uh, like it's not a one trick pony. I mean, it's the entire thing. It's the entire system. This is a all year round, you know, yeah. and I mean, do you guys offer your services? Like, you know, when you, if you get a customer call in say, Hey, uh, man, help me. But you know, they might be in Kansas. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not exactly close to this. Like here, I, I mean, you're 30 minutes away from me. I can drive here, pull up to the back of the shop, be like, Bruce, here's what I got. You know, I need this, 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 and this, and I want to mm-hmm. do this. And you can pretty much tell me exactly what I got to do. Yep. And I can have my truck loaded with everything I need to head to the woods. I'm mm-hmm. done. But you guys, can, can y'all offer something similar to that to your uh, customers outside uh, of our local area? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we we have as many calls for tips on things and, and stuff like that as, you know, as anything. We have a lot of guys that we – are able to help with things. I've even helped guys that were so far away that the freight, I mean, like, you know, maybe they were in Oklahoma or something. Yeah. And the freight might not work out for them based on the amount. And if you had a guy that only needed, say, 20 bags of feed or something, yeah. and the freight's going to eat him alive yeah, or something well. like pellets. So I've even had guys send me tags from what they have locally <laughs> and would actually find a potential competitor that yeah. I'd get them to buy from. Right, just because it saved them money, you know. And, <laughs> That's awesome, you know. And then I could I could try to break down the differences, like you know, oh, this might not have that, but you know, what kind of monetary value do you want to place on getting, say, probiotics and prebiotics? Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd rather you have that, but if it's going to cost you an extra six dollars and eighty cents a bag because yeah. of freight, then let's let's try to figure out. That's awesome. You know, I mean, what's going on? But not I don't know too many companies that do that or any of them do that. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's we really try to try to help. I mean, we've even. It's kind of funny. I've had guys call in that, or, or talk here, whatever. That um, they said they were using maybe a pellet that, that the deer weren't eating, and then they'd swap to us and say, "Oh, well, they smashed it." Yeah. And a lot of times, I try to defend maybe the other company, and maybe they weren't eating the feed. Maybe it's not a very palatable ration, or maybe the feed was old, whatever. But a right. lot of times, I think guys put a new feeder out, they go throw feed in it, yeah, and the deer were almost about to start eating. And then they go, they're not eating this. Throw it away, put somebody else in. And then they put another feed in. They, they, start give, they, eating they it. give it a two-bag try. That's yeah, it. Yeah, and then they start eating other. Ra- I mean, that's probably happened with us. You know, there's probably a guy that bought a new feeder and maybe it was a gravity feeder that the deer weren't properly trained to. And maybe they, they weren't eating it good yet or at all. And they were just about to. And yeah. And they grab somebody else's stuff and throw it in there and they eat it. So then they say, oh, they wasn't eating that. So I try to, try to defend other companies. I'm like, just yeah. make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do right before you knock. Yeah, you know the product. You know who, whoever you know it is. But, but anyway, to answer your question, yeah, we we try to and do help a, a lot of people with with the knowledge side, and 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 we've learned a lot and, and know a lot. But but one thing I've noticed is since we do this every day and and live and breathe it, and we've got a lot of people here working, it's pretty easy to forget that everybody out there doesn't know a lot about it. Sometimes, yeah, so we have to be really careful to not start throwing information at somebody that. You know, they're still trying to figure out the first 10% of what you just said. Yeah. And they can't even. What's selenium? <laughs> yeah. And they can't comprehend the other 90% of it. Right. You know, so we, that's one thing we're doing with that new uh, YouTube series we're working on is trying to break some of this stuff down. And Yeah. I love the fact that you guys are going into the the detail of, too, of um, building an orchard. I mean, Kelby and I talked about, you know, doing like, I was like, oh, yeah, dude, let's get, let's put, let's, we're going to put like four Chinese chestnuts out here. We're going to do this and that. And, I'm very. In, I was very intimidated until I saw that video on how easy it is. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a completely, you know, man. 
if you're if you can get the thing to root into the ground and then you know i'm sure it's a big whole thing to tie it down then to put the cage it's really not it's really simple hard and but but one thing we you know like to try to focus on is is not wasting time you know doing things the wrong way so a lot of stuff is super easy but maybe you don't know how to do it easy. Yeah, exactly. You know, or, or waste. You know, I hate waste. Yeah, you know, I don't care how much money a guy's got to spend or whatever. Right. There's a way we can not waste it, and that and that's a lot of what we do with the education is trying to teach people things that we've learned that that make things the easy way that don't waste time because we're you know we're not we're not on this planet but for so long. Yeah. And, you know, if you're trying to make a place a show place for you and your kids or maybe your grandkids, and you yeah. can. You can um, gain five, six, eight years worth of time by doing it right the first time. Right. You know, instead of trial and error mm-hmm. that long, we've already done all the trial and error. Yeah. And we talk to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people a year that we've learned about their trial and error. You know, so it's a big deal for us to pass on, you know, what we've learned. Um, I mean, are the guys uh, here, are they versed enough to where they can handle it? Or A, a lot of guys are. Um the biggest problem we have with with some some of the people here at Advanced Wildlife that don't know some of the things is because we are so busy. Yeah, there's just not a lot of time. You know, you to sit down and teach them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they you know they might be um, so busy shipping that that's all they ever do, or yeah, or driving a truck, or, or or doing whatever that you know they just don't have time to pick up on a lot of that stuff. Um, so a lot of times, difficult questions will, will, will come to me. But um, but I mean, far as the knowledge of what they know versus what a lot of people know, right? That right. might be customers or new customers. Yeah, they know a lot. Yeah, yeah. I figured. I figured they wouldn't. You know, nobody's answering the phone that can't yeah. <laughs> speak to it. And one thing bit. for sure, you know, we're not ever scared to say we don't know. Yeah, you know, that's, that's one thing for sure. And I've heard a lot of customers, uh, customers of ours, say that like those guys know a lot, but if they don't. They'll tell you they don't, and they'll find out for you. Yeah, exactly. You know, we won't just invent something to say so we don't seem right. like an idiot that doesn't know you know what you're asking. We'll, we'll tell you in a heartbeat, but yeah, that's awesome. Then we'll go find out for you. Well, man, Bruce, I man, I can't thank you enough for just sitting down and talking with us. I mean, it, it's yeah, it, it's been. Uh, I mean, like I said, I'm, I, obviously, I'm a huge super fan of your products. I mean, I'm, <laughs> well, thank, you. thank you for the support. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm. I'm. You know, I, I, told, I told Caleb, I was like, you know, I'm probably my wife will kill me if I buy protein right now, but I, I, it's getting close <laughs> to time to refill. But uh, anyway, it'll be fine. Uh, I can always go down to the Ace, but I'm but I'm here. That's right. That's <laughs> so, right. I, you know, but if you turn me loose in there, I'll come out with like six hats and about twelve shirts. <laughs> yeah. Let me go get my trailer. Yeah, yeah. I'm about to get a trailer to come in. Uh, yeah. yeah. Leroy here will need stuff. You know. That's right. My bank account's already screaming. Oh man, yeah, dude. I was like, I was like, good God. When we saw that lock-on feed, we were like, oh my God, it's over. You know, dude. I can't. We can't. Cool I can't. I was like, let's let's step outside for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. need to be in here too long. I'll start. I'll start whipping the wallet up. But uh, that's right, man. I, like I said, you know, my my, my partner. Uh, you know, we always talk about him. We always, you know, Kelby Crawford. I mean, he 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 loved you, man. He respected the heck out man, of you. And I did him. He's yeah, great, great man, right there. Yeah, and he 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 was super excited about doing this interview with you and. Uh, and just, you know, again, trying to, you know, he, everything he told me, you know, honestly, everything that I did because I started using your product was because of him, you know, yeah. and man, 
again, it worked, it worked great, but yeah, he definitely was excited about talking with you today. So I'm glad we got to do it. I mean, this is, I call this hat Kelby cause <laughs> it's his hat, but yeah, uh, cool. you know, I was like, all right, we're going to, we're going to we'll bring Kelby along. So, but so we did get to do it in a way, but um, yeah, that but, was, that was some of the last, last one or two texts I got from him, you know, it was about, about doing a podcast with y'all. You the, know, the, just... the very last text I got from him is that Bruce, I got Bruce lined up. Yeah. That's literally yeah. the last, I got Bruce lined up and two other guys, man, we're, I'll be out here in five days. Don't worry. I'm like, dude, just don't yet. Yeah, just get well. I could care less. Yeah. You know, Forrest ain't going nowhere. Bruce ain't going nowhere. You know, <laughs> yeah. we, you get healthy first, but, uh, Hey, we got to get it done. And that's, that was, that's the important thing. So, yeah. but, uh, yeah, brother. But yeah, thank you again for being yeah, on our show, brother. Coming. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, you're a busy man. So we're, we're grateful for having you on the show yeah. at all. Yeah. Thank you. All. all right, brother. Thanks, man. <laughs>